0: If you were here last Sunday evening, some of you may have noticed a young man sitting in the central block, sort of about halfway along at the end of the pew there, who got up and left hurriedly halfway through the service. It was only at the end of the service that Daniel Durrance, a junior doctor who shared in the service in the pulpit about his involvement in a missions trip to Papua New Guinea that week, discovered that his bag was missing the man in question had probably while we were praying with our heads bowed taken his jacket off, put it forward, eased underneath the pew and took Daniel's bag containing among other things his phone, his doctor's phone, his camera, cash, credit cards and most precious of all to Daniel, his Bible the one good thing to come out of this, so far, and there may well be lots of other things, is that it provides a graphic illustration of our theme for this evening. As we come to the eighth of the Ten Commandments, which simply says, you shall not steal. Now, I expect most of us, if not all of us, I hope, are upset by what happened, and none of us, I hope, would do such a thing looking carefully to say that. however before we think we are off the hook as far as this commandment is concerned I would never ever dream of stealing let me re- relate another true story which was reported a month ago on April the 28th and was kindly sent to me by a member of the congregation I always appreciate when people think that will make a great story for the sermon that's coming out. The headline and story, you may have seen it, was as follows and I'll read it to you. Villagers strike it rich as they discover cash machine is doubling their money. The villagers of Wooler were still wearing broad smiles yesterday as they fondly recalled Golden Wednesday. It was only seven days ago but it was the busiest night in living memory and they'll be talking about it for years to come. It was the night that Barclays Bank cash machine in the Northumberland village paid out twice as much money as every customer asked for. News travels fast in rural communities. Within an hour there was a queue the length of the high street. One woman arrived at the machine by taxi in her nightdress and curlers. This extraordinary bonanza was caused by the replacement at about 9pm last Wednesday by staff from SecuriCorps of a cassette that contained ten pound notes instead with one containing twenty pound notes. In the tube tubs across the road the talk was of some locals making thousands of pounds from the error and it quickly occurred to those who had made the withdrawal that they could return after midnight at the start of a new banking day and do the same thing again as if queuing for a prize item in the January sales they began to wait in line once more before midnight within hours the machine had been emptied it was estimated in the village yesterday that at least 65,000 pounds had been withdrawn the landlady of the angel Purp, who asked not to be named expressed disappointment that she had not joined in the free-for-all adding, if only I could have remembered my PIN number she insisted it had not been unusually busy in the pub although outside it had been the busiest night in Wooler for years there were people coming from all over the place. It wasn't just the people from Woolwich, he added. This is a great place for rumours and it wasn't long before everybody knew about it. Some people didn't go because they thought they'd get into trouble or would have to hand their money back. And I heard that someone went into the bank the next day and handed over the extra money she got. Next day, at the Black Bull, there was astonishment at the news that Barclays would not be asking customers to return their bonus payments. A spokesman for the bank said it was a third-party error and blamed Securicore staff for putting the wrong cassette into the machine. He said, we know who took the money out of the ATM, but we can't pinpoint which ones have had too much money, so we won't be asking for the money back. From our perspective, we're covered for any losses because it was a mistake by Securicore whoever was to blame, the general view in Wooler was that the banks rob you blind anyway this is just small change to them but a lot of money to us so you see, this is different from stealing this is the Robin Hood principle you rob the rich, the banks, to pay the poor, you and me and it's all insured anyway but it is no excuse those who took the extra money and did not return it have as surely as the young man in Charlotte Chapel broken the eighth commandment you shall not steal after all if they'd given ten pounds instead of twenty pounds we'd have all been queuing up to get our money back I know that some of you will be sitting there saying well of course Wooler is just over the border in England that's just the sort of thing English people would do I would suggest to you that nationality is not the key issue. Rather, it is not a matter of nationality, but a matter of nature, a fallen human nature which inclines us to break not just the Eighth, but all of the Ten Commandments. In his book Ten, which I've mentioned several times, J. John comments, In almost no sphere of human life is there greater deception about what we do than in the area of stealing. Very few people are prepared to look themselves in the mirror and say, I am a thief. I have stolen. The result is a sea of words that obscure the reality of theft. Rather than admit they stole something, we hear people say they borrowed it, acquired it, helped themselves. Things have mysteriously fallen off the back of a lorry. Objects are surplus to requirements software accidentally gets downloaded onto my computer equipment gets creatively recycled people are less than totally transparent about their accounts for the VAT inspector or engage in creative accounting for the inland revenue we need to stand firm here and point out however soothing the alternate word sound all stealing is stealing and the title I've chosen for this evening's subject Begged, Borrowed or question Stolen So let's begin or continue with the problem itself by saying that we face a serious situation Stealing is endemic in our nation All the statistics show this I was interested in reading up on this The Serious Fraud Office estimates that financial crime in Britain costs 29 billion pounds annually and they say that's probably just the tip of the iceberg. The Inland Revenue estimate that if everyone paid what they should there'd be somewhere between 7 to 15 billion more pounds in the National Exchequer a year. Avoidance of car duty and council taxes compounds the situation and means that everyone has to pay more. Almost everything you buy in our shops has a 5% surcharge to take account of shoplifting. The Board of Trade estimate that 13% of our gross national product is stolen every year. Add to that less obvious ways in which stealing takes place, ranging from dishonest advertising and shoddy goods to exorbitant rates which Western banks charge to impoverished third-world nations who cannot pay off the interest, let alone the capital debt, which has often been stolen by their own corrupt rulers. It is an international problem. But this is not just limited to corporate things, but involves the individual as well. How many people fiddle their expenses, take time off work, fail to put in a full day's work for their labour, use phones and other materials from work, and a host of other things? How many people here illegally download music off the internet, or copy things without permission? Even some churches that do not pay a copyright licence fee for putting things on the screen you'll see our number is listed at the bottom there or even I read in an article recently there's even been cases in America of preachers being sued for plagiarising other people's sermons you will notice by the way that I normally always give sources when I quote things by conviction I think it's important personally however I don't want to spend the rest of this message talking about the problem but what we can and do to address it, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came to bring, alone offers secondly a radical remedy. Now, how do you tackle this kind of problem? There are basically two kinds of approaches. The first one that governments favour is what you might call a top-down approach, that is to attack corporate structures and challenge businesses and governments you start at the top and work your way down now I believe there is a place for that many Christians I think rightly supported the Jubilee 2000 campaign in seeking to persuade western governments to cancel debts owed to impoverished smaller poorer nations interestingly the only way they've really managed to make any progress on that is to persuade western governments that it's in their own interests to do that not for any other reason However, that doesn't deal with a real problem which lies in our human nature because all of us have this insatiable desire for more even though it may mean less for other people. At its worst, it's a kind of what I would call a monopoly mentality. You know the game of monopoly where you sit round the table and you all play and you all, or you all get as many hotels and houses and seek to finish everybody off till you're the one with a pile of money and everybody else has nothing. And TV game shows in which one person Uh, wins everything and the other person is told you leave with nothing are increasingly popular now the alternative approach is what we might call a bottom up approach where you change individuals and it's interesting if you read the gospels that Jesus did not adopt a top down approach to these problems he started at the bottom and worked upwards his kingdom grew one person at a time, and he said it's like a, a tiny mustard seed that grows until it infiltrates, infiltrates society in a subtle and almost unseen way. Uh, think for a moment about Jesus and the problem of tax abuse. Uh, at the time when Jesus lived, the system of taxation under the occupying Roman authorities placed oppressive burdens on the backs of almost every individual, particularly those at the bottom of the pile. The Romans taxed everything that moved and everything that didn't move. And what they did, they auctioned off the responsibility for collecting these taxes to the highest bidder. They were called tax farmers. And the guy who won the bid for the highest gave the highest price to collect these taxes then had to recoup his money and make a profit so he sold off the franchises to collect taxes down the line in all sorts of different areas and every person down the line took their own share and more so if you're right at the bottom of the pile you had to pay these huge and unjust taxes which resulted in many people resorting to underhand and dubious practices in order to pay what they owed now it's very interesting Jesus did not directly, as far as I'm aware, attack this system head on. Or the Romans, who were responsible for it. Indeed, you may remember when he was asked the trick question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He gave that wonderful answer, render or give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. However, it didn't mean he wasn't concerned about such matters. Instead of challenging the system, he challenged the individuals who were part of it and who perpetrated the abuse. And the story that we read of Zacchaeus is a classic example. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in the lucrative town, trade town of Jericho. He was a tax farmer. He was extremely unpopular with his fellow Jews, not just because he ripped them off, but because he worked for the Romans and was regarded, therefore, as a collaborator with the occupying, hated occupying power. Uh, The two worst categories of people in Jewish society, in the eyes of most people, were classified as sinners and tax collectors. What happened when Jesus came? Jesus didn't shun such people indeed he went out of his way to meet with them as happened on that momentous day when Jesus is walking down the road in Jericho and Zacchaeus because he's a short man can't see what's happening he runs on ahead he climbs up as we used to sing in Sunday school he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the saviour he wanted well I won't sing it to you but for the saviour he wanted to see and as we sang when the saviour came that way he looked up to the tree and he said Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm coming to your house for tea. Now, to enter someone's home, to share hospitality, as happens in many parts of the world today, is more than just accepting a meal or an invitation. It means to accept the person. And Zacchaeus was probably amazed. And he gladly sh- shinned down the tree. You can imagine this little man shined down the tree, no problem. And off he went with Jesus to his home. Much of the consternation of the people. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. A tax collector. But he was to save sinners like Zacchaeus that Jesus came into the world as he says at the end of the story this is why I came to seek and save the lost. You see Jesus offers God's forgiveness to those who have sinned. Now let's pause for a moment because that's probably good news for most of us here recognise that we are sinners and maybe in this particular area you are guilty maybe you're a thief you wouldn't want to use the word perhaps maybe you haven't stolen a bag or a purse but you've stolen time or resources from your employer maybe you're a student and you've stolen someone else's work off the internet and cut and pasted it into your thesis and claimed that it's your own piece of work universities and even Bible colleges now have to have filters to check for things that have been taken off the internet wholesale and however or whatever you may call it or think of it stealing is a sin and first and foremost all sin, the Ten Commandments are God's words and sin is an offence against God and Jesus offers God's forgiveness to those who have sinned including thieves Now here's a thought. The last person Jesus forgave before he died was a thief. On the cross he hung between two thieves. And these two thieves had a conversation about Jesus while he hung there. One of them hurled abuse at Jesus and said, If you're who you claim to be, get us down off here. The other one said, Hang on a minute we're suffering for what we have done justly but this man has done nothing and he turned to Jesus and said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus answered him I tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise and only Jesus can offer the radical remedy of God's forgiveness whichever of the ten commandments you've broken if you've broken number eight only Jesus can forgive you that's why he died on the cross bearing your sin and God declared that to be valid by raising him from the dead and now He's sent his Holy Spirit to live within you to effect this radical change a change from within a person a change of nature 2 Corinthians 5.17 says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has gone, the new has come now, I've got one more point and it's a bit longer one because this is the important point has that happened to you? Are you a new person? I don't mean do you come to church. I don't mean do you mix with Christians. I don't even mean do you read the Bible. I don't even mean do you pray. I mean, do you know what it is to be forgiven by God to have become a new person and that God the Holy Spirit is living within you? And if you say yes, my third point is this. If that is the case, there will always be an observable outcome. You'll be able to see the difference. You see, the list of Jesus to his home had this remarkable effect on Zacchaeus he stood up and declared look Lord here and now I give half my possessions to the poor if I've cheated anybody out of anything I'll pay back four times the amount given the kind of person he was the reputation he had the way he'd lived this was absolutely astounding so what caused him to make such a costly commitment? it was literally a change of heart about his wealth. A change of perspective on his possessions. You see, before he lived for money, money was his God. He wanted more, and when he got more, he wanted even more. But now he'd experienced something far more important than material things. He'd found and been found by someone far more valuable than all his wealth, Jesus. And in comparison with this, he says, well, those things don't matter anymore. He let go of this tight grip that he'd got on his possessions and his wealth, He gives generously. He says, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. Now, under Jewish law, if you wanted to give to charity, 20% was the amount that was normally given if you really wanted to put on a good show. This man says, 50%. And he promises, I'll pay back four times the amount I've cheated anyone. If you look in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, there are actually prescriptions laid down for what happens if you cheat someone. And the law of Moses says, you give back what you stole plus one-fifth of the amount. Zacchaeus says, I'll give 400% back. Now, if you've had a genuine encounter with Jesus, there'll be an observable effect in your life. Jesus said in his great sermon on the mount, by their fruit you will know them. And he challenged those whose profession of faith in him was merely verbal. He said... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 21. The question is, as we've been singing and thinking this evening, is Jesus Lord of our lives? One of the clearest ways in which you can tell when a person becomes a Christian and is a Christian is how we regard our possessions and how we think and act about money. And when you become a Christian, there may be things you've stolen that you need to pay back or restore. We need to return what we have stolen. In his book on the Ten Commandments, Stuart Briscoe, from England but serves in America, tells the story of a famous Irish evangelist in Northern Ireland called W.P. Nicholson and he operated well he travelled all over to Scotland and other parts he was a remarkable evangelist and preacher and he especially preached in the shipyards in Belfast Uh, Belfast was then the centre really the major shipbuilding capital of the world this is what he said about the ship ship workers they went straight from their tasks in their work clothes and filled the church then W.P. Nicholson would preach to them powerfully spreading conviction insisting on repentance and restitution Many men accepted Christ and started to bring back everything they had stolen from the shipyards. In the end, the authorities had to make a public announcement. Will all those men attending the meetings of Mr. W.P. Nicholson please stop returning stolen goods? We have nowhere left to store them. Now, maybe God has spoken to you this evening. He's pitched some of the things we've talked about. That something you've stolen or, or maybe borrowed and failed to return the marks of true repentance are to put that right like Zacchaeus he said I'll do it immediately here and now I make this commitment and then I'll follow it through maybe this evening you need to make a commitment to put right something that you've stolen and that kind of integrity should be seen in everything we do no matter how small I was kind of amused this week I, I walked along from the church office when I was studying in my study at lunchtime, and I walked to, along to Greg's, you know, down the Rose Street to get some sandwiches and the woman gave me said what the price was and I threw it on the thing and then she just gave me some change and I put it in my hand and I was just walking out the door and I looked down and she gave me 10p too much and you could say, well, it's only 10p, what is it, come on you know, but without thinking, I went straight back and I said, Excuse me, I think you gave me 10p too much. And I handed it back to you. She looked very surprised. She said, Thank you so much. Well, it should, that should be normal. I said, okay, okay, if it was 10 pounds, it would be a big challenge. But the smaller amounts and the larger amounts, we should act with integrity. Can I say that sometimes it can be a very costly business? I have a friend who's now retired, who worked for many years, quite high up in the Ministry of Defence. And one time his boss called him in, the, the real big boss And he said, I want you this week to go to a certain place, a naval yard uh, Quite a long way away And he said, you can take your car and just, you know I need you to do a job And at the end of the week, he, he looked at his mileometer He checked the miles And at the end of the week, he put a claim in for each day This journey that he'd taken On the Monday, after this week, he got a phone call from his boss His boss said I noticed that you've put in this amount for your journey each day. And he said, yes, that's what it is on the journey. He said, I want you to change it and to add so many miles to it. He said, well, why can't. He said, why do you want me to do this? And his boss said, I've been claiming on that journey for the last few years, he said, and that's the amount I claim and I expect you to claim the same amount. And he said, I'm sorry, I cannot in all integrity do that because that is not the amount didn't improve his job prospects or chances of promotion. But there is more to that as the New Testament shows. Uh, Interesting, the New Testament is very blunt about the kind of people who became Christians. The Apostle Paul, writing for Christians in Ephesus, uh, says to those who used to be thieves in the congregation, he says, what you should do now is work instead of stealing. Not only to live, which we all need to do. There's nothing wrong with possessions, but he said, work in order that you give. Listen to what he says. If he-